All right. So it's kind of an obvious thing to say. A preacher's not going to get up and say, I didn't like this sermon series. Uh, but I've really enjoyed this sermon series. I've had a lot of fun preaching it. And I mean, I'm, you know, you wouldn't say the opposite. You wouldn't say, this has really been a terrible sermon series. I haven't enjoyed it all. I'm glad this is the last week. But gosh, I am disappointed. This is the last week. I've had a lot of fun preaching through the conversion story of Paul. And so let me just kind of recap what we've said so far. Saul was a big deal. He was a big deal by every standard of measurement in the Jewish world. Saul was a big deal. Highly educated, very prestigious, wealthy family, Roman citizen, best job, all of it. Saul was a big deal. And when he found himself standing before Jesus, he realized that none of those things mattered. That none of those things made him okay before Jesus. And he was brought to the point of sorrow as he realized that all of this time he'd spent in his life pursuing all of these things, all of these accolades, all of this prestige, all of these different things didn't mean anything. And he's having this Solomon moment. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And he begins to grieve. And he's at this point of incredible sorrow. And he spends three days at a house in Straight Street in Damascus grieving and praying and mourning over the life that he's spent not honoring God. And then God says, to a man named Ananias. Ananias, I want you to go to Straight Street here in Damascus, and I want you to minister to Saul of Tarsus because he is my chosen instrument to take this message of salvation to the Gentiles and also to the Jews. And so Ananias, after a little bit of convincing, goes and ministers to Saul, and and he prays for him. and, And then right after that, Saul gets up and he's baptized. And I don't know about you, but I've seen myself in this conversion story several times. I've seen myself at at different stages of my life where I was proud and arrogant and chasing after all of these things for the wrong motivation. And I've seen myself spending my energy into things that would ultimately not please God. And I've seen myself in different points in this conversion story, and I've seen myself in the grief, and I think maybe you've seen yourself in this story too. I hope you have. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, maybe you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. I hope that you've seen yourself in this story. I hope it's been encouraging to you, but I also hope it's been challenging I hope it's also been challenging to you. And I want to tell you the the thing that's maybe been the most challenging for me in this series. And it's this. Doing something religious doesn't always mean you're doing something godly. And I've I've had to examine myself as I've looked at Saul of Tarsus doing these very religious things He was hunting down Christians. He was doing all of these religious things, and yet he was not doing something godly. And I've had to say, Tony, 
You, you spend your efforts all day, every day doing these religious things, but are they godly things? And so that's been challenging for me. I hope you've been challenged by this series as well in the way that the Word of God needs to challenge you. So that's been a gut check for me. Um, that's all review. That's where we've been. That's where we've been the last four weeks. But we've got one week left, and I want to start, I want to set the tone with a song. It's a new song, uh, but I think Saul of Tarsus would really appreciate this song. Take a listen. Why you ever chose me Has always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line Will all the other not quite Will all the never get it right But it turns out They're the ones you were looking for All this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Jesus, I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus, I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus, I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus, I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus, I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but
If I had to guess, I'd say that Saul of Tarsus would approve of that message. I'm just a nobody who's trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save your soul. And if I take an honest look at my life, one day I'm going to die. And there are going to be some people that remember my name for a little while. But I'm probably not going to go down in history books, and that's okay. That's okay, but I hope that, I hope that people remember that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. And if I spend my life sharing that message, it will be well spent. And if you spend your life sharing that message, it will be well spent. Saul spent years thinking he was somebody. And it took the example of Jesus to make him realize that he wasn't nearly as impressive as he thought he was. And on its own, that realization can be crippling. I mean, just devastating. You mean all of these years I've worked for this and it's not what I should have been focusing on? And you grieve over the effort that you expended in the years that you lost on its own. That realization can be devastating. But that's not the only thing that Saul learned. He also learned that his hope doesn't come from what we do or how great our reputation is or how religious we are. Saul learned that our hope comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus. And no matter what we do or don't do, do or don't accomplish, can and cannot figure out, no one will ever change the fact that Jesus died but came back to life. That's where our hope comes from. From that moment on, from that moment on, from the moment he realized that, he was fully devoted to telling everybody he could find that Jesus was Lord. I think Saul would have approved of the line, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save your soul. As good as all that sounds, and, and I think you're all going, okay, this is good, right? You used the song. It was a good song. They sing well. This is good. But maybe you're going, wait a minute. I, I've got a small objection that we've got to work through together. And, uh, you know, it's great that God loves him and all. That's really cool. I'm glad God loves him. Go for you. Good job, God. Uh, but just, you know, are we going to overlook the fact that we're talking about a murderer here? I mean, He murdered Stephen. He was going to Damascus with letters from the high priest to imprison Christians, take them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, and murder them. Are we just going to overlook the fact that that's what this guy was doing? Is that what what we're about? I mean, if he were alive today, we we would call him a terrorist. And you're telling me I'm just supposed to supposed to be okay with that? I'm all for forgiving sins, but this guy's a murderer. What do we do with that? We've we've still got to deal with that piece of the conversion story of Paul. 
So if you would, open up your Bibles. Acts chapter 9, we'll start in the middle of verse 19. And here's what it says. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. I love the word immediately. Immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And, and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? And Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. All right, so um, I want to start with something that's probably been a little confusing throughout this series. We're calling the sermon series, Paul, a real-life conversion story. But this whole time we've been talking about Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And maybe you've heard, uh, maybe you've heard it explained this way, that he was Saul of Tarsus until he was baptized and then God changed his name to Paul. It's a pretty common explanation. It's not right, though. It's not right, though. Um, Saul was baptized in verse 18. In verse 19... Saul gets up and starts preaching. So after his baptism, he's still called Saul. What's, what's going on here? Let me explain a little bit. Saul was a Hebrew name. Paul was a Greek way of saying that same Hebrew name. It'd be kind of like my name, uh, Anthony. But yeah, my name is Anthony. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. But that's it. Uh, sorry if that was like a major revelation and that's distracting from the sermon. But anyway, my name's Anthony. Deal with it. Let's move on. Uh, if we were to say it in Italian, it'd probably sound like Antonio. Same name, just a different translation of it. Paul and Saul are the same name, just in different languages. So when we try and attribute Saul's name change to his conversion experience, we're saying something that the Bible doesn't say. Acts 13 and verse 9 tells us that, that Paul or Saul used those names interchangeably. And so it probably sounded something like if he was in a Hebrew context towards the beginning of his ministry, he would call himself Saul. But if he was ministering among the Gentiles, he would call himself Paul. It was used interchangeably. Why does Saul eventually become known as Paul? Why is that the name that history records? Let me tell you what I believe. And again, this is just my opinion on this subject. You're free to disagree with me. Uh, here's what I believe. Saul of Tarsus worked hard for everything that he had. He studied his whole life. He was zealous for God. He was well-known, well-respected, and well-off. But as Saul continued his ministry his reputation became less and less important to him. And what he had to say about Jesus became more and more and more important. And so here's what was happening. Saul was decreasing as Jesus was increasing. It's the same thing that John the Baptist said when his disciples said, hey, you know, this, this Jesus guy is kind of, you know, dipping into the flock. He's taking all of our followers and they're going off and following him. What are you going to do about that, John? Are you, you going to like start preaching better sermons or something? And John the Baptist says, hey, just 
calm down. He must increase and I must decrease. Paul was saying the things that distract people from Jesus and me have to change. The thing that I found my identity in, my degrees, my Roman citizenship, my fame, my wealth, all of those things that I found my identity in, they have to decrease so that the message of Christ can increase. And I think that's what made Paul great. So that's the story of the name Saul versus Paul. But that doesn't answer our question, does it? And maybe you're going, if that was your question to begin with, you're going, hey, that's great. You can call him Saul, Paul, Santa Claus. It doesn't change the fact that he's a murderer. Okay? We're supposed to be okay with that? There's this really fascinating conversation that God has with Ananias. We read it last week, but we uh, glossed over it because we were going to visit it specifically this week. Maybe you saw it and you wondered about it. Ananias said, uh, God, are you talking about Saul of Tarsus? Is that the guy that you want me to go and minister to? You know, the, the guy Saul from, from Tarsus, the one who came here to imprison Christians, take them back to the high priest so that they could be executed? That's the, that's the Saul of Tarsus, you mean? And God says, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as the people of Israel. What does that mean? Saul is my chosen instrument. What does that mean? It means that God is using Saul of Tarsus to teach the rest of the world an important lesson. Here's what it is. God loves us no matter what. And He's ready to forgive us no matter what. Paul learned that lesson, and he never forgot it. Not only did he never forget it, he started teaching it. Here's what he says to his young disciple, Timothy, as Timothy begins to set out in his own ministry. Here's his words to Timothy. He says, Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I love this honesty. This honest self-reflection. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I am the worst of all of them. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with everyone, even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Saul of Tarsus had the most clearly egregious and destructive sin in his life. He couldn't deny it. He couldn't hide it. He couldn't run from it. He was proud of it. He had bragged about his sin. And yet God said, you are my chosen instrument. Here's what God is saying through Saul. I'm able to forgive Saul of Tarsus. Don't ever doubt that I can forgive you. I can forgive a murderer who sought to destroy my church. Don't ever think that I can't forgive you. Now let me be clear, because this is a, this is a message of incredible grace, and the Bible is full of grace, and it is good for our souls to hear that. But it's also important that we hear truth. That doesn't mean that God is going to tolerate everything. He's not saying, well, I love you, so I'm going to ignore this destructive behavior that you are dead set on pursuing. 
I love you, so I am going to try and convince myself that this thing that is so clearly going to hurt you isn't that big of a deal. I love you, and so this thing that is bad for you and dishonoring to me, I am going to convince myself that actually I kind of like that. That's not love. That's apathy. God is a God of love. God loves us enough to call us out of our sin instead of convincing himself that our sin is okay. You see, God forgave Saul. Saul had to stop persecuting Christians. God's willing to forgive us. but We do have to admit that there's sin in our life that needs to go. This is where repentance comes into the picture. This is where our understanding of who God is starts to change our thinking and our actions. Maybe you're going, I know I can't get rid of this on my own. I know you're probably thinking that because I can't get rid of my sin on my own. One of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is that God doesn't ask us to get rid of our sin on our own. See, when we're baptized, it is for the forgiveness of our sins. It's also for the gift of Holy Spirit. God forgives us of our sins, and He gives us Holy Spirit to come into us and lead us away from sin and towards God. See, overcoming the sin that you've always struggled with, overcoming the shame of the sin that you've always struggled with, God wants you to know that it's possible. It's possible. And some of you, I'm going I'm to illustrate this for you. Some of you maybe have heard of the name Justin Bieber. Give me a show of hands if you've heard that name before. And you're going, what in the world? Right? Um, so if you don't know who Justin Bieber is, let me give you a crash course. Uh, he's a young pop star. He's in his early 20s. Uh, he was signed to a major record label at age 14. At age 15, his debut album came out. Everything's going good so far. Certified platinum. And a 15-year-old is now a multimillionaire. Today, in his mid-20s, early 20s, he's worth about $265 million. You all feel bad for him? <laughs> but from a very early age, he had the ability to do anything he wanted with no understanding of responsibility or consequences. Everybody would do everything for him. And so this gift, this blessing that so many of us would love turned into a death sentence for him. And so I want to read to you something that he posted on his Instagram account here recently. And I think it's really fascinating, really beautiful. Here's what he wrote. He said, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning with the right attitude when you're overwhelmed with your life, your past, your job, responsibilities, emotions, family, finances, even your relationships, when it feels like there's trouble after trouble after trouble. You start foreseeing the day through the lens of dread, and you anticipate another bad day. A cycle of feeling disappointment after disappointment. And sometimes it can even get to the point where you don't want to live anymore. Where you feel like it's never going to change. 
This was my life. I can sympathize with you. I could not change my mindset. But I'm fortunate to have people in my life that continue to encourage me to keep moving forward. You see, I have a lot of money. I have cars, clothes, accolades, achievements, awards, and I was completely unfulfilled. Have you ever seen the statistics of child stars and the outcomes of their lives? There's this insane pressure and responsibility put on a child whose brain, their emotions, their decision-making capabilities aren't fully developed yet. We're not completely rational. We have to be defiant, rebellious, things that everybody has to go through. But when you add the pressure of stardom, it does something to you that's unexplainable. I didn't grow up in a stable home. My parents were 18, separated with no money, young and rebellious themselves. But as my talent progressed and I became successful, it happened in two years. My whole world was flipped on its head. I went from a 13-year-old boy, poor in a small town, to being praised left and right by millions of people who told me how great I was and how great my music was. Humility comes with age. And I didn't have humility. You hear those things enough, and you start to believe it. Rationality comes with age, and so does decision-making. Everybody did everything for me, and I never learned even the fundamentals of responsibility. By the time I was 18, I had no skills in the real world, and I had millions of dollars to do whatever I wanted. That's a scary concept for anyone. By 20, I'd made every bad decision you could think of and went from one of the most loved people in the world to one of the most ridiculed, judged, and hated. I started heavy drugs at 19, and I abused all my relationships. I became resentful. I became disrespectful to women, and I became angry. I became distant from everyone who loved me, and I was hiding behind the shell of a person. I felt like I could never turn it around. I didn't think I could do it. It's taken me years to bounce back from all of these terrible decisions and fix these broken relationships. Luckily, God blessed me with extraordinary people who love me for me. Now, I'm navigating the best season of my life. Marriage. All this to say, here's how he concludes his message. All this to say, even when the odds are against you, keep fighting. Because Jesus loves you. That message, that message of hope that can only be found in Jesus, that message of hope that goes beyond fame and wealth and prestige and privilege and accolades, that message of hope went out to 119 million people who hear everything he says. I love that. And I think maybe Justin Bieber might tell you that he's just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved his soul. Recently, he's maybe the biggest pop star in the world. I don't know. And you can debate that amongst yourselves. I don't really care. Uh, he may be the biggest pop star in the world. And recently, he's been leading worship at his church on Sunday mornings. And I love that. And he's one of the most intensely disliked people on the planet. Some people dislike him just because he's a pop star. Some people dislike him because girls don't dislike him at all. 
Some people dislike him because he has hundreds of millions of dollars, but some people dislike him because he's hurt them. Because he's hurt them badly. And for those people, they're going to have to work at forgiveness. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what Saul of Tarsus wants you to know. The things that make us unlovable don't affect God's love at all. For Saul, the things that made him unlovable, it was a murderous past. For Justin Bieber, it was highly visible, destructive behavior. For you, maybe it's your college years when you drank yourself into oblivion and did regrettable things and then drank to forget those regrettable decisions. Maybe you spent years, years not controlling your temper and you've deeply hurt the people you've loved. Maybe you weren't faithful to your spouse and it damaged or broke your marriage and damaged your relationship with your children, with your family, with your friends, and you've been dealing with the guilt for years or decades. And maybe you were addicted to drugs and you used everybody in your life to support your habit and you took advantage of them. Or you spent years with a default setting that was critical instead of kind and you were hard on everybody around you. I don't know what it is, but I want you to know the things that make us unlovable don't affect God's love at all. The things that, that we've done to the people we've hurt, they're going to have to work through those things. And it's going to take time for them to forgive us of the ways that we've hurt them. It's not so with God. His love for you and His love for me is so pure. that Even though He has seen everything we have done and it has affected Him deeply, His love for us is so pure that right now He is anxiously awaiting the opportunity to forgive us. Things that make us unlovable don't affect God's love at all. Will forgiving some people take time? Absolutely. Will it take effort? Absolutely. Will it be easy to forgive everybody? No. We're going to struggle sometimes. But here's what you need to know. The God that we serve is ready to forgive anybody of anything right now. I'm going to end this sermon series with a really simple thought. And it fills me with peace. And it fills me with joy. And it's one that absolutely has the power to change your life. And so I've been praying all week that, that it would give you peace and joy in the same way that it does me. Here's what I want you to know. And, and I hope this doesn't come out braggingly. I certainly don't intend for it to. But here's what I want you to know. I am going to heaven. I'm going to heaven, not because I'm good enough, not because I'm smart enough or kind enough, not because I'm even particularly good at being a pastor, but I am going to heaven. I'm not worried about being religious enough. I'm not worried about my good outweighing my bad. I'm not worried about all the times that I've stumbled or slipped or messed up since becoming a Christian. I am going to heaven because I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's it. And I want that for you too. I'm going to heaven 
I'm going to go to heaven because the things that make me unlovable don't affect God's love at all. And what I want for this church is that all of you have that same assurance. And I want every Sunday to be the Sunday when somebody makes that realization. So if you have that same assurance, I want you to just write that down. I just want you to write down the words, I am going to heaven. And so that time this past week when we spent time praying together, uh, for, the, for the people who aren't here yet, I want you to take that, that same time in your schedule, leave that alarm or that calendar notification or that time set aside in your day, leave it. And I just want you to remind yourself, I am going to heaven. Not because I'm good enough, but because Jesus is good enough. Remind yourself of that. Let that peace take root in your life. But if you're here today and you need that peace, I think you should come and be baptized. Because you've been dealing with all of the things that make you unlovable or you think think make you unlovable. And here's what Paul is saying. None of that affects God at all. He is ready to forgive you of anything right now. All you got to do is come and ask. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. And if you need to ask for God's forgiveness and hear him say yes, I think you should come forward and be baptized. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your great love for us, for your mercy and your grace. We're grateful that you love us enough to send Jesus to die for us. We're also grateful that you love us enough to not allow us to continue to suffer in our sins, but you call us out of them. And We are thankful that you don't ask us to come out of our sins on our own, but you give us the power of your Spirit to do that work with us. Father, we thank you that you are full of grace and truth. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.